everybody. This is Chuck Marone. This Friday is Black Friday, traditionally the busiest shopping day of the year. And we are, for the third year in a row, doing our Black Friday parking event. We're trying to demonstrate to everybody how parking minimums not only destroy the tax base of a city, not only limit the opportunity that is provided to people within neighborhoods and communities, but also is just a massive frivolous waste of resources. You can do your part when you're out on Black Friday. Stop and take a picture of your parking lot. Share it. Share it on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And when you share it, use the hashtag Black Friday Parking. Do those three things and we can change the conversation about parking in this country. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. This is our Black Friday parking week. And I thought, who would be better to chat about parking with than developer Anderson Kim, John Anderson. This is your third time on the podcast, John. Welcome back. Thanks, Chuck. Glad to be here. For people who haven't heard you before, let's just do a brief overview. You're a developer. You're one of those evil guys who goes around and, and screws up everybody's neighborhood, right? Right. Yeah. Building houses and apartments and parks and stuff, but all those terrible things that people hate so much. Right. You're actually building the places people live. Yeah. And you work all over the country. You and, and David Kim, your partner, run the uh, organization Anderson Kim. You guys work all over the country. I, I want to talk a little bit about parking because you you've been pretty outspoken. You wrote a piece a while back on your blog, Arjun the Bad, Seven things a town can do to encourage incremental development. And the first two had to deal with parking. Stop trying to guess how much parking is needed and manage it that you've got with rational pricing. What, why is parking the top two things for you? It's really the, the litmus test on whether or not people are paying attention or they're just flailing around, worried about irrational ways about growth or, or new projects and the like. Well, the other thing that happens is we get invited to places. Would you please come build in our town? And the first thing I want to know is, do you still have requirements for off-street parking, you know, minimum requirements for off-street parking? And have you figured out how to price your parking so that it costs more to park in front of Starbucks at the curb than it does to park on the top of a five-story parking structure? You know, and if you've done those two things, then you're our kind of folks, and we're probably interested in working in your town. If you haven't done those two things, you need to get on it. Uh, so the reason why it's important is it's about priorities and clear thinking in, in public policy. I really think that, that uh, Don Sheep's book, uh, The High Cost of Free Parking, should be required reading for anybody on a planning commission or a city council or a city manager, public works director. Yeah. Because Shoot has done such a good job of, of making the argument for changing the way we deal with parking. But it's daunting. It's a 700-page book about parking. But it takes 700 pages to really make the argument as definitively as he has. Uh, I'm doing it in a much more crude way, which is to say, you know, if you still think that you need to require a certain number of parking spaces off-street, then, well, at best you're either 
delusional or you're or you're yielding to uh, hysteria. When you think about the way that that those parking standards get set up, it is the farthest thing. It looks precise because often they're even decimal places. You need 2.5 spaces per hundred for office or something like that. You know, it looks like grown-ups have been hard at work with with calculators, you know, and have come up with these things. But unfortunately, they're they're done more more by rumor and bad habit than anything else. I mean, then often the metric is, you know, how much parking would we have to require to eliminate getting phone calls about not having enough parking? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) As opposed to, you know, is there a chance in hell that we're going to guess right about how many parking spaces a dentist's office needs? They're insanely bad at guessing. And then they tend to inflate the guess just to be extra sure. Right. And that that cuts into what you can build on the site that creates big parking lots that we don't use. And I think that it's 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 reasonable for a municipality to regulate where parking goes on a private parcel, you know, put it in the back behind the buildings, that type of thing. But the number of spaces, you know, let that be a market decision. You know, as it kind of plays out, but um and you if you press for, you know, well where did this number come from? They'll point to the ITE parking demand generation manual. And you dig into that and you see that they went and looked at, well, for dental offices, they went and looked at three dental offices in suburban locations that had nothing else there, just a dental office. No transit, no nothing, no place to get lunch if you work there. And they counted those the parking spaces that were being used three times. So they have a data set that's based on three observations in completely isolated settings of a transportation system. And now that standard is, you know, the five spaces per thousand uh, square feet dental office. That standard is now published and used by lots of folks. But even when you look at their own, when you look at the IT stuff, there's a footnote that says, you know, uh, we did this with a small sample. Yeah, the municipality should go out and do their own study. But they don't do their own study. They just take that number as if it came from Mount Sinai on tablets of stone. And and now we get you know more parking than we need, more parking than is reasonable, more parking than anyone has any right to ask for. One of the things that you've argued, John, is that the parking requirements essentially drive up the price of property. Make that connection for us. Um, no, no, it actually drives down the price of property. Go ahead. Make that connection well, for us. If you want to sell me a piece of land to build an apartment building on, or a nice little mixed-use building, what I can pay you is a function of what I get in rent, which has to support the money I spend on building the building and the money I spend on getting the approvals and paying the architects and everything else. And um, that rent is a function of how much yield can be produced. So if I can have 12 units, then I can pay you 12 units worth of land cost. If I can have only nine units because I have to provide additional parking that my tenants won't be using, well, now your site is contaminated with a silly parking regulation, and I'm either going to have to go through extra efforts to get that contamination removed, or I'll just comply with it. I'm sorry, I, I can only get nine units here, so I can only pay you nine units worth of land cost. So if I'm paying $12,000 per unit in land, I can pay you uh, $108,000 for your land. But that price is being artificially restricted by the requirement for for building parking that I don't need. So it takes up space that I could be building buildings on. 
And it also costs money to build, you know, three, four thousand dollars of space. And often the municipality won't give you any credit for uh, the parking that exists on the street, which is actually more convenient, which really does exist. So if it really is about requiring parking as a public benefit, that's great. How about we count the actual parking spaces? A uh, corner lot, you know, that, that would support another eight or nine parking spaces. If I can't even count those and you tell me I have to produce 20 parking spaces on the site and I, I point to these nine parking spaces, you know, in front of the, the shops, there's no, we don't count those. This is an off street parking requirement. It's a level of abstraction that just defies civility. Because if you tell me that with a straight face, I really wonder at what point are we going to throw virgins into volcanoes? Um, right. Are there going to be a requirement for how many unicorns will be brought forward with this project? No. So you want me to build unnecessary parking and you won't count parking that actually exists adjacent to the parcel. So that's why it, it becomes this litmus test of, of rationality. Is this going to be about feelings about parking or are we going to be practical about building things? And often it's about feelings about parking and feelings about getting phone calls and complaints about parking. John, a lot of times when we have developers come into a community, they actually will argue for more parking. And they'll say, we want the public to provide a ramp or we want more parking to be provided. Or or sometimes they'll even say, we want more than what is actually required. How, How do parking requirements change the kind of developer that a community is going to attract? If you're at a point where the community wants what you're what you're building, say it's a big retail box or sports arena or something like that, there's already a level of irrationality and and craziness in the air. So if we're going to do something crazy, it, you know, it's more of a garnish than a main dish to say, oh, we would also like thousands of parking spaces provided for free. You know? So if you're in the realm where you have these large-scale projects that are going to have large-scale parking. It's just kind of part of the mix. I'm not for eliminating parking or setting parking maximums. I think that the, there should be a market risk involved in that you're trying to serve with what you build. I just don't think that, that guessing what the minimum is is something that municipalities are particularly good at. Yeah. In terms of the, the sort of developers you attract, well, actually, even that, even that question says, says a lot. It's like, you know, what kind of developers do you have that might be operating in your town already, the small operators? And how are you impacting them with your parking rules? I mean, developers are not some uh, nomadic tribe, you know, circulating around the plains looking to land in Brainerd to accomplish their work. They're, they typically are, are more grounded in one, in one place than another. Do we tilt the scales a little bit with the parking requirements? I look at, you know, some of the things that, that we ask developers to do and I don't see the McDonald's or the Dunkin' Donuts or the Walmart having a difficult time complying with these things, but I do see a lot of the, the flower shops, the local accountant, the dentist, the person doing the, the apartment complex. I see these people struggle a lot. Are we tilting the scales in terms of the kind of developer that can be successful in our communities when we have these parking requirements? Well, yeah, I think that if you think about how much effort we put into having lots and lots of free or low-cost parking, and the result is that we end up with very expensive housing and very expensive commercial buildings. 
So our priority is on making sure that there's never any glimmer of a, of a doubt about whether or not you can find a place to park. So we put a lot of energy into kind of solving that problem, and it creates lots of other ones. It's lots of impervious surface and stormwater treatment now. And also, when you look at how much parking is actually used, like, and you guys are going to do the Black Friday thing, it's awesome to, to see, like, Target and Walmart after Target and Walmart, you know, on Black Friday, still with lots of parking vacant. Right, right. So some somehow we've gone to the point where, you know, on, like, the, the day of the 10,000-year parking flood, we still have excess parking. So we've built so much of it, and we've become so numb to the idea of, you know, we don't question whether or not it's a good idea, that it, it's really affected our thinking. It's shifted our priorities in ways that I don't think we fully understand yet. In a lot of cases, the money's been spent. The buildings have been built. The parking lots are there. So those will be great redevelopment sites down the road. The opportunity to add a few more buildings, just because there was a stupid amount of parking required when they built the buildings originally, you know, we're clever people. We can take care of that. We're at a point where, you know, we could stop this silliness now. And I think municipalities could distinguish themselves one from the other. You know, I mean, if Brainerd was the place in North Central Minnesota where, you know, we've come to terms with, with off-street parking, maybe that would be helpful to them in recruiting people to build things they want. As that comes forward, it's going to be hard for a lot of elected officials to advocate for that because, in general, people are still looking for free parking wherever they can. The trade-off isn't really understood. What do you say to those people, John? Really wonderful, vital places. Often, you might have to walk a block after you park there. But you're willing to do it because it's a great place to be once you're there. Those are a different kind of place where, from out by the mall or the big box store, where we all kind of cruise for the spaces closest to the door because walking through the parking lot is such a miserable experience. What do you say to those people, John? I'm thinking about the, the council member who's getting the phone call from the constituent saying, there's not enough parking here in our downtown. There's not enough parking in this. How would you advise that city council member to react to that call? Well, I'd advise them to like get out a Sharpie and a photograph, a Google Earth photograph of downtown. Get out a red Sharpie and then color in all the parking lots downtown and see what the ratio of parking lots to buildings is. And I've seen those kind of drawings for, for Buffalo and for Houston and the like. And it's appalling, you know, how people have gutted their downtowns. And so you make a drawing like that. When someone calls you up, say, please meet me for coffee. And say, look, let's go walk around. Look, I colored up this Google Earth photograph of our downtown. And if you don't think there's enough parking, there seems to be quite a bit of parking. How many more buildings should we knock down and create parking lots that would make you satisfied? You know? So I would take the argument in the other direction. It's like, what would be you know, an ideal state of enough parking for you? And at what consequence? You know, how much more do you think we should tax people in property taxes? Because buildings are taxed at a much higher rate than parking lots. You know, so how much more taxes should we inflict on the person who has the building on Main Street in order to carry the load of of the municipality? Because we're not getting taxes from parking lots. Everyone wants to park free. There really is no such thing as free lunch, and there's no such thing as free parking. We're paying somehow. So what, where would you, you know, what's your dream scenario? You know, who would you like to dump the requirement for more parking on? You know, 
you know, let the person complaining either understand or, or affirmatively say, yeah, I want Mr. Jones to pay more taxes. I want Mr. Jones to provide me with more parking. I'm that selfish, the bastard. I think that the argument can be made that the parking is not the most important thing in our life. If you can say that affirmatively and have people argue with you about, no, parking is the most important thing in our life, then those people clearly need to go get a life. I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the Small Developers Boot Camp, the work you're doing to try to, what I would say, unleash this kind of wave of people doing small incremental development. Why is this such an important undertaking? You know, why have you dedicated so much time to it? And, and maybe tie it into these discussions we're having at the local level about parking and how we make things easier for this certain brand of developer to operate within our communities. Well, I think that for a, it's important work because there are lots of people that want to do smaller scale projects and the development uh, regulations and, and finance system are kind of set up for big stuff. So I think there needs to be a support system for the small operators. It's almost like a parallel system. And when it comes to parking, the the small developer has a, a choice every time they go out and decide they're going to buy a piece of property and do something with it. And they weigh trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs might be, is there a silly amount of parking required? If there is, they may still buy that property and build on it. But they can, you know, again, they can't pay very much for it because it comes with a a consequence of having to build a lot of parking. And then also they design the site so that later when the community comes to their senses, there's room to build some more buildings because you've arranged the ones you did build properly and you didn't run utilities, you know, crisscrossing through the parking lot. So now there's like a clear and evident place to build a few more buildings now that the rules have changed. But, you know, for the time being, you know, live with the rules the way they are, look to reform them, you know, put the effort in there, but future-proof your, your projects by, by arranging your buildings carefully so you can convert parking lots later. It's been surprising to us just how many folks are looking to acquire or enhance the skill sets necessary to be a small developer. And, and we're doing these boot camps at least once a month through the end of next year. And we're looking to develop uh, resources, we get information and stuff off the web in addition to or instead of going to boot camp. But it, it remains to be seen just how deep that demand is. And it seems like everybody's got someone in their town that is struggling with uh, what it takes to do things at a small scale rather than a big mega project that involves more risk and more capital. It seems like the small developer is the developer we need right now. When I, I look at the gaps in our cities and, and all those parking lots that are pretty financially unproductive today. It seems like the class of people that knows how to do that are people like you, people who work in that realm, and, and really the people that you guys are trying to train in. I feel like they're the next generation of developer that every city needs. Well, and I think a lot of them are going to come from the ranks of the neighborhood activists. I mean, that's where Monty Anderson got his start. Right. Didn't like what was going on in his neighborhood, wanted to do better, and no one was stepping up, so he did it. And I think that folks that have developed some skills either in in that venue or maybe they're architects or planners or contractors or the like, they want to change the place that they live. They want to change their neighborhood. And they're more locally focused. They're not popping from, you know, from suburb to suburb, putting up a CVS or Walgreens. They may have a modest project that becomes moderately successful when they build it. 
but it gets better the more that happens in the neighborhood. So it's more like gardening or farming than manufacturing. And it's a, it's a very different approach, and it seems to be dragging in kind of a different crop of folks that are interested in their neighborhoods in the long term. Well, John, thanks for taking the time today. If you're interested in John's work, you can find out more about Anderson Kim at andersonkim.com. And John's part of the Incremental Development Alliance, which is online at incrementaldevelopment.org. John, any other thing we need to tell anybody? Oh, sure. Think twice about parking. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember to take part in our Black Friday parking event this coming Friday. Be safe and keep doing what you can to build strong towns. that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, make the city! I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.